And let's ask the Lord for a blessing on the reading of his word. Shall we pray? Gracious God and Father, by your Spirit's presence and power alone are we able to discern the deep truths of your word, to feed upon the nourishment that is provided for our souls, and to respond in gratitude for the grace given. If it were not for your Spirit, Lord, our hearts would be distracted, our minds would be wandering, and our spirits, Lord, would starve. We would become, as so many times, Lord, we experience in our physical bodies, so in our spiritual bodies, sleepy and not passionate for your name or for your glory. So now, Lord, pour out your Spirit upon us that we may drink deeply, be revived, and give our lives in gratitude to you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2, where we're going to read the verses 1 through 7. You'll find that on page 1177, 1177. We're going to read this in light of what it is that we confess in Article 36 of the Belgian Confession, which is the second to last. 37 being the last, dealing with the last things. But first, First Timothy 2, we'll begin reading at verse 1, and we'll read to verse 7, page 1177. Hear the word of God. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. That's for the reading of God's holy word. Then to Article 36. Page 196, 197, Article 36, dealing with the civil government. Here the church confesses this concerning the civil government. We believe that because of the depravity of the human race, our God has ordained kings, princes, and civil officers. He wants the world to be governed by laws and policies so that human lawlessness may be restrained and that everything may be conducted in good order among human beings. For that purpose, he has placed the sword in the hands of the government to punish evil people and protect the good. And being called in this manner to contribute to the advancement of a society that's pleasing to God, the civil rulers have the task, subject to God's law, of removing every obstacle to the preaching of the gospel and to every aspect of divine worship. They should do this while completely refraining from every tendency toward exercising absolute authority and while functioning in the sphere entrusted to them with the means belonging to them. They should do it in order that the word of God may have free course. The kingdom of Jesus Christ may make progress, and every anti-Christian power may be resisted. 
Moreover, everyone, regardless of status, condition, or rank, must be subject to the government and pay taxes and hold its representatives in honor and respect and obey them in all things that are not in conflict with God's word, praying for them that the Lord may be willing to lead them in all their ways and that we may live a peaceful and quiet life in all piety and decency. And on this matter, we denounce the Anabaptists, other anarchists, and in general, all those who want to reject the authorities and civil officers and to subvert justice by introducing common ownership of goods and and corrupting the moral order that God has established among human beings. As the church does believe. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, our Lord, we have uh, what is in many respects um, a, a significant article uh, for the author of the Belgic Confession, Guido de Bre. For you may recall in the history of Guido, or in the history of the Belgic Confession, Guido wrote this to Philip II in order to sway the perspective of the king who was coming with his army to uh, oppress or to put to right, in his mind, uh, the people and certainly the Protestant Christians uh, of the lowlands of uh, the Netherlands and Belgium. And Guido de Bre was uh, seeking to demonstrate to Philip that these Protestant Christians were not the ones that were the problem, that they were indeed committed to living peaceable lives, but that they would refuse to bend on matters of theology, on things of the doctrine, on the faith that they believe, that they would respect and honor those in authority over them, but they respected the God who was over all as first priority. And so it's not surprising then that in his treatment of uh, the faith that we confess, uh, after having discussed various matters concerning the saving work of Jesus Christ and the sacraments and Before he goes on to talk about the doctrine of last things, we have this article relating to the civil government, something that's a little more common, a little more regular, something that's a little more earthly, we might say, but one that was of great significance in the days of Guido de Bre, and indeed is significant in any time of history. Government and rule are always matters of great importance and discussion and debate. Why they are to be, how they are to be, what is the right way for governments to rule, what is permissible under their authority, what is not. These sorts of questions have bothered the church, Have the church has had to wrestle with from its very earliest day, certainly in the context of the New Testament. In the Old Testament congregation, of course, the church and the kingdom of God were essentially one and the same thing. The king was not only king of the nation, but he was also king of the church. However, in the New Testament, things are, of course, very different because of the coming of Jesus Christ, as we will see in a moment. And so the church has now had to learn to relate to governments, not defined by, not understanding the teaching of God's Word, not being motivated by service to Jesus Christ. And they've had to uh, understand how to relate in such societies in such situations in a way that is uniquely Christian, indeed to interact with the government, to call the government to a genuinely Christian perspective 
in order that all men might live under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. And while we may not regularly have to think about these things, though maybe in the last few years we have thought about this more uh, pointedly, uh, it is a rather challenging question to answer when we think about why government. Why is there a government? Why do we listen to the government? Why do we accept the government that is over us? Uh, it is, is surprisingly a very difficult question to answer. We can offer, of course, why the, what the benefits of government are. We can say, well, we have government because government provides stability and security in an unstable and insecure world. And that's certainly true, or ought to be true. That should be the goal of every government. We can even uh, express that we uh, like the government we have. We prefer a democracy versus a monarchy or an oligarchy or one of the other kinds of governments there are in the history of the world. We can say, why, why this government? Why our government? Because the people voted and that sort of thing. And, that's, and we accept that. We submit to that. We allow that to be the case. But why? Why? Why should anyone? Why? Who decides? Who decides who has authority and how they may wield that authority? To say that it is the people is problematic. To say that it is armies is more often true, but still troubling. To say that it is their own dynamic personalities. We live in the time of the cult of personalities. You have to be charming. You have to be attractive in order to be in positions of power. Is to produce a, a, a society led by vapid and vacuous individuals. Who decides why the government is and who the government is? Well, it's not easy for us to answer, and it's not easy for us to answer, although for all of human history, except for the last little bit, the answer has been very easy. Because up until quite recently, everyone in every place of the world everywhere knew that God, or their gods, were the ones who gave authority. That claim was abused, it was questionable, it was more often a sword or an army that gave the authority to the government. But even those in positions of authority said that they were in that position by virtue of gods or their gods, giving it to them. It was a recognized truth. So much so, and you can hardly imagine this ever happening now again, but you remember Henry VIII and all of his wives? He had to create an entirely new church, the Anglican church, to allow him to divorce. He couldn't divorce because the Catholic church wouldn't let him divorce so he had to create an entirely new church. Which church then gave him permission to divorce? Because he could not defy God. He could not question God. He could not stand against God. God was the one who had given him authority. Now that's no longer the truth of our culture, is it? That is no longer the reason why people understand governments to exist today. There is no divine right of kings. But surely there ought to be in the church. That is, while our world may reject the claim that God gives authority to government, the believer may not. Not because we want things to be different. 
but because we know things are different. Because we understand who God is, what Jesus has accomplished, and what life is really all about. And it's only then that we can truly understand why government and what government's supposed to do. It's only then that we can begin to understand why the confession says what it says about the purpose of civil government. For the purpose of civil government, says our confession, is essentially the maintaining of justice in our land. Maybe you noticed that in the opening paragraph of this article when it dealt with the work of government. It said, We believe that because of the depravity of the human race, our good God has ordained kings, princes, and civil officers and wants the world to be governed by laws and policies so that human lawlessness may be restrained and that everything may be conducted in good order among human beings. The truth is, we live in a very disordered world by nature. It wasn't always that way, to be sure. When God made man and woman in the Garden of Eden and gave them then authority as his image bearers to exercise dominion, making them the very first king and queen in all of history, when God gave to man authority to exercise over the face of the earth, all of the earth obeyed, man served his God, everything was well-ordered, organized, and everything did exactly what it was supposed to. But then, of course, man rebelled. He chose to fight against God. He vacated his throne and chose instead to align himself with the serpent, with the devil, and to make war against God, his creator and sustainer in this world. And, there, and, and he th- therefore takes all of that authority that he's been given as an image bearer and he twists it. He abuses it. You remember Lamech again? We've mentioned him recently again. His two wives, if Cain uh, is, is venge- or is, uh, 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 has killed one man, I have killed two and this sort of thing, or I'm going to... Uh, he was a proud, boastful, arrogant man who used authority to abuse, to misuse, to mistreat. And that's what happens, isn't it? That's why our society is uh, uh, dealing with the challenges of theft and of cruelty, of dishonesty and harm to others. We're actually hearing more and more about this, aren't we, in the news. Uh, violent acts, uh, people randomly uh, assaulted for no good reason. And, and our society says, why, why, what's going on here? And we know the answer, we know the answer is deep within our own hearts that it's because of human depravity. And, and because of that, if there is no restraint on us, if we are prevented from, or if we're not prevented rather, uh, from, from doing bad things, then, then all of us would do some pretty, some pretty bad things. If it weren't for mom and dad disciplining us, if it weren't for teachers or even police officers on the road, we would do some pretty bad things. Because into the disorder of fallen humanity, the dominion that God gave to His image bearer, He now gives in that sense, or through that image bearer, uh, to governmental authority for the purpose of restraining lawlessness, for the purpose of maintaining order. Order is defined by laws and regulations. Order is enforced by a sword, which is literally a sword. That is, it is the physical punishment of government, the government's use of force, to prevent evil people from continuing to punish evil people for their acts and protecting also by force good people, those that are honest, those that are innocent. 
Thus, not only are governments to enact laws and rules and regulations, but they are to have armies, police officers, bylaw officers, and health inspectors, and so on and so forth. All of these civil officers, all of these positions, all of these people work to maintain the order of our society. Left to ourselves, left to ourselves, we would make life worse. Government must impose order on society. Now that order is a limited order. We should note that as well. By nature, all of us take to ourselves more authority than we ought. Governments do the same. Governments, all governments everywhere, tend towards despotism. They will always take more responsibility than God has given them. Indeed, our country and in our government, the government has taken the work of the diaconate away. It has taken, in many cases, the works of the parents away. And it has taken the work of the economy or the businessmen away. And the reason for this is simply because man always devolves into tyranny. Man always rebels against his God and refuses to submit to him. So God gives in his word a very limited focus to the work of government for the specific purpose of God in justice is to be maintained. Now that justice has a broad application without question. The the government ought to ensure that diaconal ministries, that parental activities, that economical justice is, is maintained. It is possible for businessmen to be unjust. It is possible for parents to be abusive. It is possible for those that are in need not to receive the need that they are crying out for. The government ought to make sure that justice is maintained across the board. But it is not the government's to do. It is the churches to do. It is the parents to do. It is the businessmen, the school to do. The government's is to ensure that justice exists. And notice that the government in its limited authority has not only limited authority in scope, but also in ability. For the government's sword, which is powerful and ought to be feared, yet cannot make people obey, cannot change hearts, can't make people good or uproot racism, misogyny, and cruelty. Despite what our current governments believe, our current governments believe they can do that. They think that they can enact laws, that they can force people to become better, that by their rules, sin will be defeated. But we know that that's not the case. We know that only justice can be, ensure, can be enforced by governments, but hearts cannot be changed. Lives cannot be turned around. The, win- the wicked can be punished and the good can be protected, but they cannot be changed. Here is our confession you understand as Christians and is he uh, uh, on the initial role and, and, and focus of government within society. And this is how we are to see, this is how we are to, uh, uh, li- to, to perceive the role of government within our lives. This is what God has given us government for to ensure that we live within a just society. Indeed, isn't that term itself one familiar to us in Canada? Trudeau the Elder used to use it all the time, and Trudeau the Younger uses it as well. And we ought to be grateful that in both instances, and indeed so often in Canadian politics, the term just society is one that is valued, one that is promoted, one that is sought after. Even while we as Christians become very concerned about the direction that this just society is taking, because this just society seems to be imposing a justice upon us as believers that is contrary to the Word of God. 
And indeed, it's one thing to say that justice should be the focus of all government, the promotion and preservation of a well-ordered society where all citizens have opportunity to use their gifts and callings. But it is another thing to define that justice. What is justice? What is a crime? What is not a crime? What is illegal? What is not? How do we decide who should be punished? What punishments should be provided? And who should be protected? Here's a question that, again, proves to be more difficult to answer than you realize. And yet the truth is, any answer to this question other than one based on the Word of God is founded upon sinking sand. Now to be sure, there is a common sense in which all men understand what justice is. There is, if you will, a natural law that we can appeal to in order to ground our laws, our rules, and justice on a foundation that is bigger than ourselves. But without the backing of God's Word, even this is a shifting foundation. The truth is, and will always be for every society in every part of the world, in every part of history, until Christ returns, that the only real, solid, purposeful, blessed way to define justice within a society is if we define it in the light of the Creator of heaven and earth, if we define it in terms of what it is that God has revealed concerning Himself and the order that He has applied to this world which we have rejected. That is, justice can only ever be defined by God's Word. We want to be careful and not assume a simplistic application of Scripture. We want to recognize that we don't live in Israel anymore, that Jesus has come. We, We want to understand that we can't just take passages out of the Old Testament and apply them in a New Testament context. But if you want to know what is wicked and what is good, if you want to know what is right and what is wrong, if you want to know what, pun- what ought to be punished and how it ought to be punished, you will need a standard. You will need a measuring stick. You will need something to appeal to. And you will either appeal to something outside of yourself, to something bigger than yourself, something unmovable and persistent, or you will point to yourself. That is, either you will see that God's will, as revealed in His Word, is the only standard that is good, unmovable, and right. Or you will say, my will, what I want, and what I can impose, that is what is just. It will either be righteous or tyrannical. For such are the only options we truly have. Now, without detailing exactly how the Word of God, the Word of the King ought to impact the reign and rule of our governments, let's at least acknowledge that because He is the King of kings, the one to whom all authority has been given, that every government must and ultimately will have to give an answer, that His Word must have priority in every exercise of authority. This is true in the church, this is true in our homes, this is true in the school, and this is true in society, this is true in the government. It is not only, after all, for the church that Jesus Christ is concerned. He's concerned for the whole world. It is because God loved the whole world that He gave His only Son. And indeed, Jesus Christ has been given authority, as Matthew 28 reminds us, all authority in heaven and on earth. There is no authority that is free of Jesus Christ. And He is working towards a day, isn't He, when this whole earth will be covered, not with rebellion and rejection of Him, but a perfectly ordered and just society, the new heavens and the new earth. Which is to say, Jesus has a concern, has a desire to apply and bring about that full expression of justice on this earth, that full ordered world that His Father created, that man rejected, but that He 
redeemed. Jesus Christ has a global concern. The world tells us that Jesus is merely a personal and private God, but we know that Jesus Christ sits at God's right hand. And if His Word, as the Word of the King of kings and Lord of lords, is sent forth, then all men must take it seriously if they would not face His judgment or His punishment. Indeed, can we oppose can we oppose Jesus Christ's rule without consequence? Can they oppose Jesus Christ's rule without consequence? This gives us, you understand, as church, a unique responsibility. We know the truth and we need to live out this truth and we need to proclaim this truth. Living that truth means that we don't adopt a worldly, man-centered perspective on politics. A view that either says, we're the authority you need to listen to or you work for me so uh, you need to do what I want. No, we must point our leaders to their king. Yes, even if they're not believers, he's still their king. And we need to show them that we submit to that king first of all. We don't run in the opposite direction either and imagine that politics isn't something Christians should get involved in. Oh, the church as an organization should not, may not become politicized. But the church as an organism, that is the congregation, the members of the church must be engaged in claiming each square inch of this world for Jesus Christ. And we need to live that out in the way that we interact with those in authority over us. But we also need to proclaim this truth in meaningful and thoughtful ways. Not just yelling at our leaders, although we can say tough things. Not just pasting Christian slogans to our political views, but working out seriously what Christ wants His governments to do. We need Christians to be involved in policy development. We need Christians to be involved in the application of those laws within our society. We need to proclaim to the world that there is a more excellent way. We need to proclaim it also in the way that we live. Paying our taxes as we ought. Paying our speeding tickets if we get them. Respecting those those in authority when we interact with them. We see the truth. Which is why we ought to be so concerned with the direction of our government, of our fellow citizens, of our society. But they need to hear from us. They need to hear from us, not vitriol, but they need to hear in a more winsome way that there is grace and goodness, there is order and structure, there is a more excellent way. Not a utopia, but a way that acknowledges the truth, that provides a safe and secure society for all citizens to live and serve their Creator. Indeed, this is what the church is supposed to do. And, and in this ministry of witnessing to the world, the government is to assist us. After all, the, the confession not only speaks about the, uh, the restraining authority of the government, but it also speaks of the removing authority of the government. Having already noted that governments can't convert, can't change lives, that the best governments can do is maintain justice and ensure a well-ordered society what you might discover then is a society that continues to experience a great deal of upheaval and a great deal of struggle for after all all men struggle with the consequences of sin and maybe that's all we want from our government maybe we want our governments simply to leave us alone just just look punish anybody that comes against me anybody steals from me anybody threatens me put them in jail but otherwise stay off my property stay off my land don't tell me what to do yet as christians as those who are under the reign and rule of jesus christ we need to have a heart 
not only for ourselves, for our families, and for our church, but for our communities, our society, our culture, our world. We need to have a heart for our fellow, she- fellow citizens who are like sheep without a shepherd. Yet the government cannot minister to them, may not minister to them. How can the government impact the reality of lost sinners when that is the calling of the church and the ministry of the gospel to do? And yet the government still has something to do for this. For we might be surprised to learn that in the Belgian Confession, it sees the purpose of the government not only as implementing justice within this world, but also as removing all obstacles to the preaching of the gospel and to every aspect of divine worship. It is the law of God that assigns this task, says the the Belgic Confession, not the church. It is God himself who says to the government, I want you to remove every obstacle to the preaching of the word and to every aspect of divine worship. And it's also worth noting that it's not for the church to do whatever it wants, but rather that this removing of the obstacles and this removing of every, or or this uh, removing of every obstacles to divine worship is to ensure that the church does what the church does best which is proclaim the gospel to a dying world. The government is to remove any hindrance to those things. It is to ensure, it's to go before the preachers of the gospel saying, get off the street, get off the roads, get out of the way and hear what is being said. The purpose of this is not the advancement of the church, but it's for the free course of the word of God and the progression of the kingdom of Christ, for the resistance of every anti-Christian power. There is something that the church and the world need to agree on. The world needs to understand our governments, our federal, provincial, and even our municipal governments need to understand that if they want a well-ordered society, if they want a society that is a blessing for all who are participants in it, the best way to accomplish that is to resist every anti-Christian power, is to allow Jesus Christ's reign and rule to define and describe us, and for the Word of God to give comfort to the the hearts and souls of every member. But it's not only the government that needs to remember that, so does the church. Because sometimes the church forgets that this is the purpose that the Lord has assigned it. That the church has not been given the authority of the sword of the Spirit so that they might just enjoy their own blessedness. That they might say to all the rest of the world, stay out, leave us alone, just allow us to do what we want to do. Rather, there is a call upon the church to go forth in ministry of the gospel and to bless, indeed, to shape the world around it by the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, to many of us, or to many in this world, this hardly seems a good idea. After all, should governments be ruled by clerics? I mean, do Iran and Iraq have it right? Should ministers and professors be those that are first consulted about everything? Is the government the handmaid of the church? I had a professor at seminary who opined, who who mourned every time we ever talked about Constantine and his conversion to the faith, which made Christianity ultimately the religion of the Roman Empire, became the religion of the world after Constantine repented and came to faith. He, he, He mourned the fact that that brought great damage to the church. And it did in many respects. It it did because the church no longer had to fight. The church no longer had to stand firm. The church no longer had to sacrifice for her faith. Suddenly, all impediments in that sense to growing the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ were removed. But what else was possible was the gospel was able to go forth in great power. The Word of God had free course. 
Preachers were able to declare the good news without fear of being imprisoned. Churches were able to gather openly and invite all men to join with them in the praise of, it, of, of God's name. Oh well, yes, there are many things that the church did wrong and has done wrong in the history of the, church, in the, history of the world. And there ought to be a humility and a spirit of repentance in the church for the ways that she has abused her position at various points in church history. Being more concerned with power and wealth than the poor and the needy. And our repentance ought to find expression in evangelistic zeal. We can't say to the government, remove these obstacles from our worship and then not share the good news of the gospel with the world. And none of this changes the fact that governments are called by God Himself through Jesus Christ to the advancement of their societies, which advancement is not possible without a healthy and vibrant Christian church community. They aren't to force members to become members of the church or citizens to become members of the church. They aren't to twist the arms of everyone so that they confess faith in Jesus Christ. Oh no. But they should allow the church to go forth into this world and to call all men to repentance and faith and to disciple them in the service of Jesus Christ. Laws and regulations can only preserve a society, but the gospel can transform it. In the same way that governments do well to leave the medical community alone so it can do its work, not interfering with pointless and redundant requirements, desiring only that doctors and nurses bring healing and blessing into the lives of their patients, so too the government should recognize that God has given His gospel as the cure to the souls of its citizens and that they are richly blessed when they are brought to experience the ministry of the church in their lives. Not only in the proclamation of the gospel, but in those things that the church historically has done. Starting orphanages, starting hospitals, starting all of these kind diaconal ministries to be a blessing to other soup kitchens and the like. So that the best thing the governments of our country can do is remove all obstacles to the the gospel. Not promote it. Not get involved in it. That's not their job. We see what happens when governments get involved in things. It is rather to ensure that everything gets out of the way. So that they might implement works, or laws rather, that protect and preserve the gospel as it goes forth. That they might implement laws that, that restrict activity on Sundays so that people, though they may not go to church, have opportunity to go to church. That they implement rules and regulations for churches that allow them to thrive and to advance within this culture. Now understandably, here is a radical perspective on what's important in life. I mean, from a perspective of our fellow citizens, who believe that this life is all that they have, That these few short years on this earth before they are turned back into carbon are their only hope at happiness. From that perspective, maximizing personal happiness is the ultimate responsibility of government. Make me happy. Give me the opportunity to do what I want. Defend and protect my desire to experience anything and everything. But the truth is, if there's a day of judgment coming, If there is a day when Jesus Christ will return and ask all men to give an account for the way that they've lived their lives, then ensuring that all men can hear the gospel is the truest form of wisdom. Indeed, here's a word to the governments. A constant reminder that they are indeed servants of the King who holds them to an account. And indeed, who holds all men to an account for how they deal with the governments that He has established. To be sure, this radical perspective on government, one that defends and advances, uh, one that sees the the defense and the advancement of the gospel as a good thing, is certainly not 
consistent with our current culture. Our current culture would be horrified to hear that the governments of this world are, in, are, are put in place to remove hindrances from the free flow of the Word of God. But we need to be those who winsomely, carefully, and willingly show the world that this is indeed the more excellent way. And one of the best ways that we can do that is in the way that we respect those in authority over us. After all, our governments do not hold to what we believe. They do not share our desire. They are taking to themselves more authority than the Lord has given them to them. And what should we then do? The answer, quite simply, and the simplest answer we can give, is that in all things lawful, we are to respect, value, recognize the importance of, and see that God has established the government of our land for good. Even if the government doesn't know it. Even if the government itself is bad. After all, the abuse of a thing doesn't make the thing bad. It just makes those who are in that position bad. We are to respect what God has done. What God is doing. How God is ministering in the midst of our land. In all things lawful. Within the sphere that the Lord has assigned the government. The authority that it has given to that government to implement justice. We are to show respect, we are to show value, we are to recognize the importance of, and we are to thank the Lord for. And we need to wrestle with that as a congregation, we need to wrestle that as citizens in the midst of this difficult time within our world and our country's history. After all, the government, if it continues, our governments, if they continue in the direction that they're going, will continue to impinge more and more upon the responsibilities of the believer to proclaim the good news of the government. The passing of the uh, Bill C-11 demonstrates that again. How soon will that bill be used to limit the ability of the church to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the world? And what should we do? How do we interact then? Well, in those instances, we do exactly what Daniel did. You remember Daniel? Told that he wasn't allowed to worship told that he wasn't allowed to pray, told that he couldn't honor God, what did he do? He went and he honored God. He went back into his room, opened the windows for everybody to see, bowed before the Lord, and accepted the punishment with respect and dignity, trusting that the Lord would protect him even as he did. And yet he did it with dignity. He did it with respect. He did it in a way that didn't say, I'm going to overthrow you, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to lead a revolution against you. He didn't say, I don't recognize you as my king, Nebuchadnezzar. No, he says, I recognize you, Nebuchadnezzar, but I recognize God too. And God will hold you accountable for your choices even as He holds me accountable for mine. And so we both showed both respect to God and to man. We are to do the same thing. We are to pay our taxes, for example. Not more than you have to. That's certainly not the requirement of citizens at all. But you are to pay and provide the funds needed to do the work of government, recognizing that what they do with it, they will have to answer for. We are to hold its representatives in honor and respect. It seems to me that in this respect, we have failed a lot during the past few years. Think of some of the flags that have been waved, also by Christians. You think about some of the angry phone messages that our MPPs and MPs have had to endure. You think of the embarrassing treatment of those in positions of authority by even fellow believers. 
It ought to make us ashamed for the way that people have dealt with those in office over them. We are to value them. We are to respect them. We are to show them honor. And we are to pray for them. We are to pray for them so that they might know that Jesus Christ is King. Pray for them that they might repent and believe. And we are to obey them. We are to obey them in all things that are not in conflict with God's Word. We can have discussions about where that line is found. There are, a t- there are times, there are legitimately times, when we can say to the government, no. There are times when we expect in our schools, in our businesses, in our homes, that to be the case. There shouldn't be a reason why we can't say that within our society. Where we can't say to the government, you have overstepped too far. And now we will not listen to you. For you are in conflict with God's word. Anytime, anytime, we are faced with the choice of either serving Christ or serving our government. The answer should always be Christ, every time. Yet the orientation of every believer must be to show to the government that they desire to do what's required, maintaining that Christ is sovereign in their hearts and lives too. Where a conflict comes, we are to show that the government, indeed, has nothing to fear from us, but only from Jesus Christ. In both submitting and standing firm, By both saying, on this we will not bend, but on this you are responsible and we will obey. We manage to demonstrate to our government what so many in our society can't do. So many in our society have become polarized. It's red versus blue and that sort of thing. After the next election, even after the last election, people say, well, that's not my prime minister. That's not my premier. And after the next election, it'll be the same thing. Well, that's not the one. I don't don't acknowledge this. And the way society begins to talk and discuss and debate politics, it's it's terrible. It's pointless. It's empty. It's vacuous. It's vain. And as Christians, we can bring into that emptiness a purposefulness, a gentleness, a persistence, a reminder that there are truths that are yes and no, that there is truth and the lie. We as Christians can be a source of light and blessing to our society by both our submitting to government and our refusing to acknowledge the abuse of government's authority. When we submit and stand firm, we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is King. That's what Guido de Bre understood. That's what Guido de Bre lived. He said to Philip II, On this, we will give our backs to to whips, our our tongues to knives. We will not bend on this. And Guido de Bre was called to give his life as a martyr for the cause. But he also said to Philip, you have nothing to fear from us. As your citizens in this country, we are willing to serve you as the God-ordained authority. In fact, Philip had a, or sorry, um, Guido had a friend, a fellow by the name of Philip from Marnix. Some of you may know who that is. He wrote, The Dutch National Anthem. The Dutch National Anthem has a rather intriguing line buried in its first stanza that I think most Dutch people sing without ever realizing what it means. Because in that first stanza of the Dutch National Anthem, Philip taught his people to say, the King of Spain, who by the way was Philip II, the King of Spain I have always honored. Now why would Dutch people say that they've always honored the King of Spain? Because Philip understood who God was. Because Philip understood what Guido de Bra understood, 
that he was to serve under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. And though the nation became an independent country, it retains that reminder that we are to submit to those in authority over us. That we are to acknowledge Jesus Christ as King. That we are to acknowledge Him as King in the way that we witness to the world. That we are to acknowledge Jesus Christ as King in the way that we call our leaders to a biblical, Christ-directed rule and reign in our country. We have much to do as Christians that can be for good. We need to lift our voices in service to the Lord. Let's ask Him to give us grace to do that in prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge that in many ways we falter and fail. We tend to be more worldly than godly in the way that we deal with our governments. Lord, we hear the slogans of our society and we just give them a bit of a Christian spin. But we are grateful that your word teaches us the way that we should go, that it shows us what government is for, that it gives us a way to call the government to repentance and to a return to the righteous path that Christ has laid down for it. And we are thankful, Lord, that we are, uh, have opportunities still in this peaceful country, in this country where we can still proclaim the good news of the gospel, having opportunities to witness to the world. Help us to be an agent for good. Help us to be a blessing as a community within our societies, within our, our, our areas of influence, that we may be a light upon a hill to all the world around us. And help us, Heavenly God and Father, help us to be able to have those conversations, those difficult conversations about what is required in submission to Jesus Christ. Help us to be wise. Help us to be loving. Help us to have as our default position respect and obedience. Help us, Lord, whether it's our prime minister, premier, whether it's that police officer that pulled us over and gave us a ticket, it's so easy for us to speak ill of them. Help us instead, Lord, to immediately defer to respect and value and help us to show them that, even as we call them, Lord, at times, to acknowledge Jesus Christ as King, and as we stand firm under His reign and rule. Lord, we pray that You would so bless us, bless our ministry in this fallen age, give us wisdom, give us grace, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.